0: So Hebrews chapter 11, starting from verse 32 till the end of the chapter. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sword in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect.
1: Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, your word is a comfort to the challenged and a challenge to the comfortable. And so, Lord, we do pray that your word would do its work in our hearts as each one of us has need tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just this morning, I was reminiscing with a friend of mine about how there's something that I used to do very regularly before COVID that I have done exactly once since covid and that's go to the movies it's just not something that i i used to do it all the time but it's just not something i do anymore uh, i do love my movies and so tonight i want to indulge myself and tell you about a movie uh, that i saw many years ago now it's an old movie uh, back in 2010 called the book of eli with denzel washington has anyone seen this movie no, it's way too old for all of you. Let me tell you about it. It's um, Or someone confessed to it up the back. Good on you. Well done. Uh, look, it's a very simple movie. It's a very straightforward movie. It's half past the future, only it's the bad kind. Civilization has fallen apart, and there's warlords and all sorts of things, and everything is, is, has been destroyed. It's a disaster. And uh, Eli, played by Denzel Washington, he's this kind of wasteland-wandering badass who's an amazing fighter, even though he's blind. And he's given the job of transporting the very last copy of the most important book in the world, and to, to get it to safety, um, and then the the bad guy is this kind of warlord who wants to use the book to control the remaining survivors. You know that's the that's the setup. That's the setup, right? I'm giving nothing away about the movie at all. But here's the thing about this movie, and here's the reason why I'm telling you it, and why I found it really fascinating, uh, and that is that in the very beginning of the movie, it becomes absolutely clear that the book we're talking about is the Bible. It's the very last copy of the Bible in all of existence. And the second thing that becomes absolutely clear in the beginning of the story is that Eli's mission has come from God. He's literally on a a divinely inspired mission to take the very last copy of the Bible to safety. Can you believe this was a a Hollywood movie, even in 2010? But it was. But that's the the setup of the movie, and it plays it completely straight. There's no secondary meaning, there's no metaphor, there's no allegory, that's just the whole thing. Um, And look, it's not a great movie, by the way. Don't rush out and try and stream it tonight or anything like that. I don't like post-apocalyptic movies anyway, because they always kind of look like a Western acted out by homeless people. So I don't really uh, But I also what the worst thing is, I found it boring. I found it boring. I was bored by this movie, because once you realise that the movie is 100% serious, that this is the Bible, and that God is sending Eli on this mission, there's just no tension anymore. You know how the story is going to work out. And so all the suspense is kind of sucked out of the the story. Uh, How can Eli possibly fail when we know 100% that God is with him? You know, once God becomes an active participant in the story, then there's just nothing less to really worry about. You just know how everything is going to work out. God's presence is a a divine guarantee of success. And I think that's how sometimes we can feel when we read the Bible. Especially when we read the stories of some of the great heroes of the faith that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. We can feel like because God's part of the story and because you know, their story even made it into the Bible, how is there any tension at all in this story? Of course we know everything is going to go okay. Of course we know that they're going to be rescued or they're going to win the great victory or that God is going to keep his promise. We know it's going to happen like that. And, and so there's no tension at all. We know God is in control. And so yes, of course there's going to be a flood, but Noah will be rescued and so will his family be. And yes, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son, but we know that there'll be a substitute. And yes, Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness, but we know God will use him to rescue Israel from slavery. And what's frustrating about that is, that's not how our lives often feel, is it? Our lives often feel, well, uncertain. Uncertain. Uh, you know, we can feel like our experience of life is fear and, and worry and concern, and you know, bad things happen to Christian people. You know, Christians struggle with sickness, both physical and mental. You know, the marriages of Christians break down. They have financial difficulties, they, they lose their jobs, or they have trouble finding a job. They don't get into the kinds of courses that they hoped they might get into. And, you know, I'm a a dad now, and so what's one of my big prayers, one of my big worries is, you know, will my kids have faith in the Lord Jesus like I do? We face, all of us, uncertain and at times, frightening futures. And so reading about these heroes of the faith, it's helpful, but it it doesn't always feel immediately relevant. Now, of course, I do want to say that if you do read the stories carefully, you realise that they faced uncertainty as well. In fact, they lived very frightening and uncertain lives. But the question is, how do we? How do we stick with God? How do we really stick with God, especially when we face uncertainty? Especially when we don't know what the outcome of our story will be. How do we get an unshakable trust in God that means throughout all the seasons of life, throughout all the ups and downs in life that we do and that we might experience, we can stay faithful to our God? Because the truth is that the great men and women of God have always lived lives of uncertainty. They've always faced down unknown futures. But by God's grace, they were not mastered by their circumstances. In fact, they mastered their circumstances. And you can too. You can also be a hero of the faith, like these heroes of Hebrews 11. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So I've got two questions for you today. What do you need to be a hero of the faith? That's the first question. What do you need to be a hero of the faith? And secondly, how do we get it? How do we get what we need to be a hero of the faith? So, firstly, then, what do we need to be a hero of the faith? Well, we need the kind of faith of the heroes that we just read about in Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 38. And now, that's a big, long list of people, uh, but it's not quite as straightforward as it sounds. Because the list here of these heroes of the faith, what I want you to see is it's actually divided into two halves. And the hinge between the two is the middle of verse 35. And so the first part of the list, 32 to the beginning of verse 35, all of the heroes in this part of the list, well, they go from weakness to strength. They go from powerlessness to positions of power. They go from defeat to triumph. These are the ones who, they escape their enemies. They win their battles. They look dead, but then they come alive again. They snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. They succeed. They're rescued. These are the the triumphant heroes of the faith. And so you have some of them who are named, like um, Gideon and Samson and, and King David, and you can go and read their stories in the Old Testament. And you have others who are alluded to, and we kind of, we're pretty sure we know who they are. So, you know, you have the one where it talks about how the the mouths of lions were shut. Well, that is most likely, that's Daniel. Uh, Daniel from Daniel chapter 6. He was thrown into the lions then, if you remember, and yet it was God who shut the mouths of the lion. And so when they fished him out the next morning, he didn't even have a scratch on him. And then when it talks about fires being quenched... Well, that is possibly Daniel's friends. In fact, it's probably Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace that had been heated up seven times hotter than normal. And yet, not only did they survive, when they came out, they didn't even smell of smoke. People, all the people on this first part of the list, all of them are, are great victories. All of them are, are great stories. All of them are, are in my, my my kids' children's Bibles on, their, on that shelf at home. You know, They make it into those sorts of things. They're, these are the triumphant heroes of the faith. And it is very attractive to think that that's how the Christian life works. It's very attractive to think that by becoming a, a person of faith, by becoming someone who, who trusts in the Lord Jesus that we can avoid all of life's difficulties, that faith becomes like a divine insurance plan that protects us from all hardship. You know, the man of faith is never sick, always healthy. The woman of faith is always rich, never poor. The person with enough faith will experience only blessing and never any problems. But I want to say that If that is your faith, then I'm sorry for you. If your faith ends at verse 35, if your faith requires success, requires victory, requires rescue, requires miracles, then actually your faith is shakable and you are no hero and you will not last, you will not endure. Because there is also a second half to this list. And that's the second part of verse 35 all the way through to the end of verse 38. And these are the others. The others who had faith, the others who trusted in God, the others who obeyed God and yet their lives went in a completely different direction. And so, you know, for every Peter who was imprisoned and yet the church prayed and he was released, there is a Stephen. Stephen who was stoned to death for proclaiming Jesus Christ. And for every King David who won his battles and went from being a shepherd to a fugitive and then on to becoming the greatest king of Israel, there is an Elijah, who even though he was a great prophet, spent his entire life hunted and hounded by the kings of Israel. You see, the second half of the list, these are the suffering heroes of the faith. And it is a very different list. These are the others the others who trusted God, the others who obeyed God, the others who had faith in God, but there was no miracle, no escape, no intervention. And so these others were tortured, they were mocked, they were flogged, imprisoned, stoned, storn in two, went homeless, living in the fields and in, even in holes in the grounds. They didn't escape the edge of the sword, they were slain by it. And all these things really did happen. What's probably being referred to in these verses is a group of people who were called the Maccabean Martyrs. They lived in the time between the Old and the New Testament in that 400-year gap. And they were, they died, each one of them, in horrific ways for their faith in God. And they refused to deny their God. They refused to, to blaspheme His name, even though one after another they were put to death. The second half of the list here. These are the suffering heroes of the faith, still heroes, still had faith, but no miracle, no intervention, no victory. Now, did the, the suffering heroes, did they have less faith than the triumphant heroes? And the answer is not one bit, not one bit, because actually, in the end, all of them faced death and the unknown. Uh, take Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, for example. Their story is in Daniel chapter 3 and it's a great story. Uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, had decided that anyone who prayed or bowed down in worship needed to bow down to this great statue that he had built and worship the Babylonian gods. And if they didn't, then he would throw them into the fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they They refused. They refuse to blaspheme the name of their God. They refuse to bow down to idols. And so they're summoned before King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king in the world. They're the one who holds their lives literally in his hands for an explanation as to why they will not obey his decree and why they will not worship his gods. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stand before this king and what do they say? They say, you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar? We know our God can save us. And we believe that our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're never going to bow down to your idols. You to Sorry, Eddie, how are you, mate? You want to say something, mate? Sorry, mate. We're in the middle of church, mate. Sorry about the interruption. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stand before this king of Babylon and they say, we know our God can save us and we believe our God will save us but even if he doesn't we won't bow down to your idols. Save us, don't save us, it doesn't matter. Our God is God and we will only ever bow down to him. I see, that's the faith of a hero. That's the faith of someone who trusts in God even though their future is uncertain even though they don't know what it's going to mean for them or even for their families. Uh, That's someone who is willing to put their entire life into the hands of God. Now, of course, God in His mercy, He did rescue them, but they didn't know that at that time. They knew there was a distinct possibility that He wouldn't. But they were willing to trust God anyway. That's faith. That's the faith of a hero. Now, one preacher put it like this. He said, a faith that doesn't need success is the ultimate success. A faith that doesn't need the rescue, a faith that doesn't need the miracle, a faith that doesn't need the intervention. Save us or don't save us, it doesn't matter. Martin Luther once said, faith is a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in the grace of God so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths for its sake. And you see, that's the challenge of Hebrews chapter 11, to cultivate such a faith in God that we rest in Him, whether we are living or dying, whether we're comfortable or miserable, whether we're in want or in plenty, throughout all the circumstances of life. Save us, don't save us. It doesn't matter. And that we are so convicted that God is better than anything that life can offer and better than anything that death could ever take away. That's what we need to be a hero of the faith, to have the kind of faith that means we don't need a happy ending. A faith that doesn't require success is the ultimate success. And I want to say that for some of us, that's incredibly comforting. Because for some of us, there is real hardship and real suffering in our life. And this reminds us that we are not alone. As we face uncertain and even fearful futures, we can be confident that God will take care of us, that God will look after us. We can be confident that there's others who have gone before us and shown us the way to be faithful to God, even in some of the hardest of situations. But actually to others of us, I think there's a challenge in this as well for a great many of us, not all of us, but for a great many of us, actually, our lives are very blessed. Our lives are very easy. And what suffering might come our way are, to be honest, minor at best. Often, they feel big, They, they feel like interruptions with our lives when we begin to learn that God's plans for our life might somehow be different from the way that we designed our life to be. And that can be hard, that can be a struggle, I know that, I've been there. But most Christians in most centuries and in most places have lived a heartbeat from torture and death for the name of Jesus Christ. And even today, so many Christians around the world, our brothers and sisters, need to be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. And that's the faith of a hero. A faith that does not require success is the ultimate success. So how can we get that? How can we that get that kind of unshakable faith? And uh, the writer of the Hebrews tells us in, in verses 39 to 40, and, and he tells us, he says, what you need is theology. Uh, never despise theology. Theology is always good to us. You need some theology. And, and he gives us some really good theology in verses 39 to 40. Have a look at it there now with me. Would you? 39 and 40. Let me read them to you. These were all commended for their faith. That is the whole list, all of them. The triumphant heroes of the faith, the suffering heroes of the faith, they're all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what they'd been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, so far all of our heroes of the faith, all of them, uh, they've been able to have faith in God... And they've, they've trusted in God because they've known that God has made them promises. They've even known that God has promised them a reward. That was the word that got used back in verse 6 and even a little bit later on in, in verse 26, talking about Moses. They all hoped for something that God would give them in the future. And so Noah hoped for rescue from the flood. Abraham hoped for the promised blessing through Isaac. Mo- Moses... He hoped for freedom from slavery for his people. And that's how Moses, last week, if you remember, how he was able to make the choice to do without something in the short term for the sake of something even better in the long term, because he trusted God. And so it all counted the future blessing of God as greater than, than, and more important and more desirable than any earthly blessing or privilege that they could have right now. And that's how faith works. Again, faith is about the future. Faith looks towards the promises of God that He has made towards us. But here's the thing. What verses 39 and 40 is saying? That actually, for all that they were promised, actually, most of them didn't receive it. In fact, none of them really received everything that God had been, had, had promised them at all. And... So that leads to sort of some strange kind of things in in the Bible, you know? Even the triumphant heroes of the faith, very few of them actually received what God promised them. Take Abraham, for example. Abraham's a great example. What was Abraham promised? Abraham was promised that he would have uh, many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore, and that he would be given a land, a land to call his own, a, a home forever. And at the end of Abraham's life, what did Abraham have? He had exactly one son, Isaac. And he had a little field, which is where he would buried his wife. That's all he had. He didn't see the promises that God had made to him. He didn't see them fulfilled. He never received his reward. Or Moses too. Moses, he was rescued out of Egypt. He, he did uh, free uh, the, uh, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, but he never got to the promised land. He died on the very edge of it. He never stepped one foot inside. <coughs> None of them received the fullness of what they promised. Why? Verse 40 says, the reason why they didn't receive what they had promised, because actually God had something better planned for them. As amazing as those promises were that God had made to them, the promises that motivated them to stay faithful to God throughout all of their lives through tremendous difficulty and amazing hardship, despite that, actually what God promised them was something even better what God would give them was something even greater. And he would give them that blessing when he gave us our blessing. That they would be made perfect with us. That's what verse 40 says. See, verse 40 is saying to us that all these people from the past, all of them, along with us, are going to come and be completed together in the city of God, in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're going to receive the reward that we have been promised. They're going to receive salvation and glory and resurrection and eternal life just like we receive them. All of us, through Jesus Christ our Lord, all of us together will be made perfect. And when we go to that new city, we will see them there, we will see Noah and we will see Abraham and we will see Moses, we will see Rahab, we will see all the characters that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. And in fact, resurrection is the very thing that all the way through they've actually been looking forward to, a resurrection to eternal life. Some of them saw it. Some of them, I think, glimpsed it a little bit. And we get hints of it in this chapter. So, you know, Noah hoped for a way to be saved from the judgment of God and to receive new life, back in verse 7. Uh, The patriarchs, they longed for a, a, a heavenly country in verse 16. Abraham, Abraham got really close in verse 19. Abraham, he reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham got really close to understanding the resurrection that God would give us all. Moses knew that sin and Egypt were fleeting and even though they were the biggest and most powerful empire of their day, he longed for something more permanent and more durable in verse 25. In verse 35, some women received back their sons, some of their children came back to life again, but others, they refused to accept release because they hoped for a better resurrection. Uh, they hoped for not just a a resuscitation, not just to be brought back to life again, only to die later. They longed for a resurrection to a better life, to an eternal life. And somehow they understood that that's what God would give them. They glimpsed it. They saw it partially. But you see, we see it fully. We see it completely because we have seen Jesus Christ We have seen him shed his blood to pay for our sin. And we have seen him risen from the dead to a new life that one day he will share with us all. And so we have that hope of resurrection, the hope of sin ended, the hope of death defeated, the hope of a serpent crushed, the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. And all the suffering heroes of the faith and all the the triumphant heroes of the faith They're all longing, even though they didn't realize it, they're all longing for the same thing. And so they're all saying to us, we're going to get it all back and even more. So don't hold back, don't flinch. Because if your hope is in resurrection, then you can endure everything and you can endure anything. And see, see, we can't look at these people here in Hebrews 11. We can't look at them and imagine that they're that you know, we can't be like them. We can't imagine that they're a completely different breed of people. No. In fact, if thirty-nine and forty are right, what they're saying is that we now actually have better resources than they did to live lives of faith. We ought to be able to live bigger lives of greater faith. We even ought to be able to suffer more because we've seen Jesus. We've seen the very thing that they hoped for, and yet we've seen Him fully. And therefore, we shouldn't be afraid of death because neither were they. And therefore, we shouldn't be afraid of of anything. See, how can you be so certain of the future that you're not even afraid of death? Well, there's lots of different religions and philosophies in our world that will offer you all sorts of different explanations. They'll say, you know, well, death is just a natural part of life, nothing to be worried about. Other philosophies will tell you, actually, you know, once you die, you'll, you'll get another go. You'll be reincarnated. You'll get another chance. What does Christianity give you? Christianity gives you an actual person who died and rose from the dead. And let me ask you this question. Which part of this list in Hebrews 11 does Jesus belong to? Does he belong to the top part of the list? or to the bottom part of the list. It's not the top, is it? Jesus is the one who suffered and who died. He didn't receive rescue. He didn't receive the divine intervention. He was rejected. He was tortured. He was crucified. And he was all of those things for us. And there are many people in our world, they might accept a Messiah who is always victorious, who is always succeed. They might accept a Messiah from the top part of that list. But they won't accept one who suffers and who bleeds and who's insulted. But Jesus says to us, embrace me and every death will lead to a resurrection. Every death, especially the last one. In fact, you know, in one day, (coughs) one day in about 10,000 years' time, you're going to come up to me and you're going to say, Evan, do you remember when we thought that 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 life was important? Do you remember when we thought that that life was permanent, that life was lasting, that 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 life was the thing that really mattered? How silly of us. How short-sighted of us. Yet, Look at us now, look at the new Jerusalem. Look at look at them all, look at Noah and Abraham and Moses, look at all those great heroes of the faith standing together with us, clothed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And look at Jesus. And look at the wounds on his body. His hands, his feet, his side ever wondered why in the resurrection Jesus still has his wounds? We won't in the resurrection, but Jesus does. Why? Because his wounds make him more beautiful. The tragedy of his suffering, his non-escape from death is, is what makes Jesus beautiful to us. We love him all the more because of his wounds, because they were for us. And because they remind us again and again that whatever our sorrows are now, they will always be turned into even greater joy. We can suffer anything now for the sake of the far better thing that God has planned for us in the future. And so you know what? actually, our lives are a little bit like that movie that I told you about at the start. They're actually a little bit boring because we know the outcome. We know how it will end. Yeah, sure, there'll be ups and downs in the meanwhile. Don't want to deny that. But we know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, each one of our lives will end the same way. It will end with our resurrection. And are going to be with our Saviour forever. And so I say, trust in Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And you can be a hero. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege that you have chosen that we would receive the incredible reward that you have promised us in Christ Jesus. And what a privilege that we will receive it alongside all of these great heroes that we've been reading about in in Hebrews chapter 11. What a privilege that we will see them and meet them and and speak with them and even spend eternity with them because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What an amazing thing to wrap our minds around. At the cross, Jesus really did pay everything for all of his people, past, present and future. Lord, we pray, give us their faith. Give us an unshakable trust in your son. The sort of faith that does not waver at life's uncertainties. And Lord, we pray, keep us in that faith all the days of our life. Amen.